Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's going on, No Bad Dog Army? Hope you guys are all well. Lakota is here on the intro as normal. It's becoming a, a, a new thing now. You can hear her tail every intro. She gets excited. We got an awesome podcast with Robert Cabrero. Robert is out of uh, California. Uh, he's been doing a lot of different things in the dog world. You've probably seen him on YouTube, and he has a podcast himself. All of his links and how to find him and how to follow him and, and engage more with him is going to be in the description below. Robert, thanks for hopping on. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I hope you guys enjoy this. I know that I did. I learned a lot from this podcast. Um, so sponge it up, get your pen, paper, get uh, your mental notes going, and enjoy the podcast. All right, Robert, so why don't you just uh, introduce yourself to the people who are listening, where you're, you know, do whatever you want with it. You can keep it fun, where you're from, how long you've been working with dogs, things like that. All right, I'm Robert Cabral. Um, you're talking with Tom. We're talking about dogs. I got into dogs training actually quite by accident. I had some friends who were trainers and hung out with them. I was doing photography at the time and really wanted to just help save dogs in shelters and went in, took some pictures. And here and there, I'd find a dog that I wanted to get a home for and would take the dog out, hang out with it, put it in the yard, play with it. And it was for me, it was just playing with the dog. I ended up taking the dog to my veterinarian at the time, Dr. Lisa, and she would always ask, who trained the dog? Who trained the dog? And I said, nobody. We just got the dog at the shelter. I'd just been hanging out with him for a couple of days. And um, she attested that all these dogs were pretty well behaved. So she said, you should start training dogs. And it was a hobby that I didn't want to mess with. I had a Sharpay at the time, a dog named Silly. And I think all my hobbies have always turned to careers, which has always made the hobbies less fun. I still enjoy dogs. I still love being around them, love working with them. I think it's because they walk on four legs, not two. So um, I still do it and, you know, as much as I can. And now it's kind of shifted more to my online um, business, you know, with YouTube and my site. But I still enjoy meeting people and helping them solve their problems with their dogs and getting, mm. um, getting to the root of it. Yeah. So how long ago was that, Robert, like when you, when you transferred from – a photographer to hobbyist dog trainer how long ago was that uh, i gotta say it's been 12 13 14 years now oh cool that's awesome yeah quite quite some time yeah that's awesome so so when you when you were working with the shelter because i i know i saw something about you doing uh i don't remember the name of it but something with the shelters where you were going in and, and training and, and working with them. What, what, what is that called? I forgot what it is. That was called Bound Angels. It, what, yeah, what it was was it. my rescue organization. It was a nonprofit. It's still a nonprofit. I'm in the process of kind of restructuring it now. And um, we started out really as an organization that would just create awareness around shelter dogs, right? So we'd go in and I would shoot these little videos on my phone or like on my, you know, a little cheap camera and would put three or four dogs in a yard and show they're getting along and showed how they would take treats, how showed how they would, you know, be about being handled. And it really turned into a behavior assessment or a temperament mm. test of sorts that mm. were really frowned upon by, by rescue people. Cause they were always thinking, you know, these dogs are going to fail. It's unfair to do it to them. <clears throat> and I still believe it is unfair to put a temperament test on the dog in a shelter. Right. Um, but I developed a way of doing it. That was really, very transparent to the dog, very open and didn't put pressure on him. It gave people the information that they might want other than seeing a dog behind a, behind a bars in a, in a kennel or something. And that led to, you know, being the first person to put uh, play groups into the LA city shelter system. Mm. And uh, the first person who ever taught a, a volunteer and employee based program of canine behavior in this shelter. So, um, it, it kind of just really fell into place. My good friend, uh, Lewis, who was the head of the, the shelters per se, not the general manager, but the head of the actual working of the shelters. And I had been friends. We'd known each other through, uh, through Schutzen IPO. 
and through training some pretty gnarly dogs, we kind of worked together and did a program for, I would say three, four, five years of doing play groups in the shelters and had, had a blast doing it, saved, you know, so many dogs. We're putting tons of dogs together that never otherwise would be put together yeah. and really made a, made a name for it. Yeah. That was, that was bound angels. And the program was called bound angels university at the end. That's great. So, now, yeah. one thing you said, which I found interesting, and I know that my listeners will probably find this interesting too, is you said something like, um, doing a behavioral test on a, on a shelter dog or a dog that's in an environment that is not very natural or obviously stressful. Can you touch base on that a little bit about what you, what you find with working with those dogs in that environment and why, why it could or is unfair to them? You know, I always equate it to what I call a prison mentality. So if you and I were to go to prison, we would have to act differently than our natural characteristics. So, you know, you're a nice guy, you're friendly, you go to prison, you got to act tough, Mm. right? And if you're really tough, you might act kind of less tough to get your way to, you know, you'd feign weakness to gain strength. And then as well, you would feign strength when you don't have it. So you don't, so you don't open the keyholes of your, of your weaknesses. So these dogs are always living in a very skewed reality. They're the very weak dogs will act very dominant and aggressive to try to save their lives because they're afraid. Mm. That's, that's just a, a defensive drive for them. Mm-hmm. So um, it, by putting a temperament test on them, you're kind of already starting with a lie. But if you can read behavior, like I always had a problem with the with the traditional. I'm, I'm not going to mention any names of bad people that people I dislike on here. Um, but you can look up temperament testing shelter dogs, and there's plenty of very well-known people who do it. Mm-hmm. And they put these dogs under such terrible stress that even a good dog would fail that test, right? So right, yeah. you might have a bad dog that can make it through, but usually a good dog will break down. And if you know, I worked for years as a bodyguard, so reading body language on people was a, a skill I had. And as well, reading the body language of a dog is, is a very easy thing to do. Like dogs, mm-hmm. as you know, you, you deal with dangerous dogs too. Dogs don't lie. They're definitely going to tell you <clears throat> what's about to happen right. yeah. um, before they do it. But people always say, I never saw it coming. But that's simply because they didn't know what to look for. Right. And that's where, you know, working with dogs, instead of temperament testing a dog in a shelter, how about just take it out and just work with it and, and highlight the, the good points about it, point out the weaknesses and let people make a decision and, and be honest, be yeah. upfront about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like this vicious pendulum, you know, it's, mm-hmm. there's, there's not enough, there's not enough homes for the dogs that are in the shelters, it seems. And they're just, right. they're really set up for failure. I mean, for the most part, sure. I, I've been in some nice shelters where it's, you know, they have clean facilities and they have paid staff unlike you know, volunteers mm-hmm. and the old mm-hmm. rubble concrete that's fallen off the walls, some of those shelters, but right. it's, it's, it's almost like they don't have an opportunity. It's a death sentence for a lot of them. They mm-hmm. don't have an opportunity to be successful. And then the shelter, they get more stressed. And like you said, it's a great way to put it is it's just, they, they have to put on almost a front that they, that they don't, that's not realistic to them. It's not true to their, their behavior. And that, that can sure. also have, have you seen, this is something interesting. Have you seen also that work revite, uh, re- reversed a little bit where yeah. you have a dog that is seemingly calm, quiet, and then they get them home, mm-hmm. they get comfortable. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> right? Yeah, sure. That's what I'm saying. That's what, that's the prison mentality, right? right. So they're going to feign being nice to get out and then turn back into the jerks they are. Right. Right. Um, it, it, it's just sadly, but it's very true. So, you know, people always say, oh, I got this dog from the shelter. It's the sweetest dog. I mean, it's just the nicest dog. But you don't know a dog until you've had that dog for six to nine months. Because right. it's not going to just, it, I mean, until it tries to, because the dog needs to kind of figure out, is this where I'm going to end up? The one person that I thought really cared about me, the one hope I had in life completely screwed me over. Right. Right? Yeah. So I'm going to believe that you're not going to screw me over and I just met you a day or a week ago? No. Yeah. You need to really give this chance, this dog a chance to blossom. That's why I hate people who try to train a puppy at day one or right. train a dog the first day out. I mean, you should engage it. You should definitely work with it. But you got to build a relationship before you start training. Right. Having expectations. And, and, uh, yeah. Sure. 
Yeah. So, and I think that's the mistake people make. You know, they put dogs to, they, they you know, everybody always says, my dog's so smart. I said, these dogs, dogs are not smart. Dogs are biddable. Dogs like to please. But if they were smart, they would do algebra. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a matter of a dog really enjoying you and you having a good dynamic. You can get a dog to do anything either by bribing them or by, by forcing them. Yeah. But that's not the idea. You want to develop a relationship. And whether you're dealing with aggression or competitive obedience or protection or whatever, um, you kind of, it's always based on a relationship just because you can handle the dog. Doesn't mean you can hand it back to the owner right. the next day and say, Oh, see, you just need to hold the leash this way. It's dead. Well, th this person has a dynamic, a, a, a relationship built up, a set of experiences built up with the dog and shelter dogs oftentimes um, are overlooked. We overlook that aspect of the dynamic and we just feel sorry for them. Yeah. It's a more of an emotional uh, gain mm -hmm. for, for the humans. It's a bit, I tell people it's a bit, uh, it's a bit selfish too, you know, to, to get a dog and, and feel bad for them when really they need the yeah. exact opposite. They need somebody that's structured and gives them leadership, you know, pretty immediately. Yeah. And, and I well, find structure, yeah, structure, structure is the first thing dogs look for because they're primal. Structure yeah. makes them feel safe where love makes us as human beings feel right. safe. That's right. You yeah. Know? It's a great, so point. that's a really important component. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's some of the cases I've, I've seen uh, some of the worst reactive or actual aggressive dogs protective have been dogs who have been neglected, abandoned or abused. Mm -hmm. And then the mm -hmm. owners get them and they hear the story and then, you know, on their way home, they stop at PetSmart or Petco and get, you know, the, the most outrageous fluffy bed and all the toys and mm -hmm. all, the, all the junk treats. And those are the worst dogs that I have seen come out from. That's why I, I tend to, to, to tell people just stop saying rescue because rescued immediately mm -hmm. puts an emotion in it that this dog, you know, think of rescue. It's like somebody's in the ocean mm -hmm. drowning. You need to save them. Right. You know, where these dogs, right. you know, so it's, it's, a, yeah, it's an interesting thing. So right now, what is your, so your, what would you consider? I've kind of bounced between what the hell I'm calling myself. I don't, I don't even like calling myself a dog trainer anymore because it, it limits some of the things that we can do. I think, what do you, what, what would you call yourself? I mean, I saw your, your Instagram and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of notes there. I want to know, like if somebody said, Robert, what do you do for work? What would you say? You know, that's, that's such a common question. And I always say that I've <laughs> never had a job. You know, I've always just done what I love to do. And I just love dogs. So, you know, to me, it's, I mean, I did aggression before aggression was popular. Mm -hmm. um, I did competitive obedience. I did um, protection dogs. I did real protection dogs. I did the sport of protection. Um, I just, I, I, I just love dogs. I mean, it's just, I'm just a guy who loves dogs. That's, right. it's so simple. And having, uh, you know, and again, I think when you work with, when you have something like whether you're a great musician or you're great with dogs, you have to look at that a, a huge component of this is it's a gift from God. Yeah. That you can't look at you learned this because I've tried to learn how to sing my entire life and I cannot sing. Yeah. So it's, I don't believe in that, you know, every, and you know, this, all these dog trainers are suddenly motivational speakers and telling people how to get rich and how to do this and how to do that. But the truth of it is that's not really what your goal in life should be. I've made a lot of money in my life, but I've never set out for a goal to make money. I set right. out for a goal to be happy. Like I just want to be happy whether I have money or not. I, I spent, you know, weeks in Africa with a duffel bag. And I was never happier, you know, I mean, I should say, mm. except on my wedding day, if my wife's here, this year, this. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's not about, you know, a, a title, because I know you asked me what I call myself. I don't really, sometimes I just say, yeah, I train dogs. Yeah. It's oh, almost... are you a behaviorist? You know, yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah. I, I, I know canine behavior, but as soon as you say behaviorist, then they say, oh, did you go to UC Davis or something? I well, know. no, but. Those people are clinical behaviorists, and a clinical behaviorist lacks real-world experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess that that question was selfishly for me, to be honest, because I I'm still struggling—not struggling, but I'm I'm just still mm -hmm. still getting my ground of what the heck I am and what I'm doing. And very similar to what you said, is I just exactly I just love dogs, and 
I got into it very similarly of, you know, just, I love dogs. I want to do dog walking mm-hmm. and one thing mm-hmm. led to another. And so, yeah, I was just curious, you know, what, cause I'm, I'm, I, uh, I, I, I'm starting to tell people and I have for like the last year or so, it's just, it's a very, like you said, it's an art form. You're like a, right. like a good chef or a good musician. And a lot of these mm-hmm. great chefs and good musicians are not classically or traditionally mm-hmm. trained. They have an innate ability and there's a lot of talent and, uh, you know, hard work gets you the business, but I think the the mm-hmm. talent of working with the dogs and the people is, is another thing. And that's, that kind of leads me to my next, and I, I, I'm very non-traditional with everything that I do. So I think a lot of people have a, a ton of pre pre-asked questions or they ask their audience to ask. And I just want to ask, uh, you know, questions I think that my audience would, would benefit from as well as me. And so mm-hmm. one of the, one of the big topics that I get and I, and I have a hard time um, giving advice on because I went down the non-traditional path and like you, it kind of just poof, here we are 10 years, 13 years later of whatever you're doing and it's going to constantly evolve. But one question I get from a lot of dog lovers that want to go into dog training, and I've talked about this with other trainers on the podcast, talked to Michael Ellis about it a while too. And, and it's an interesting question, but basically what's your advice for somebody that says, Hey, Robert, I love dogs. I've always loved dogs. You know, like a lot of people, I want to get into dog training. Where, where should I go? What should I do? Should I get a certification? Should I, you know, what, what's your initial answer to that for those people wondering? You know, my knee-jerk reaction is always, is your dog trained? Have you trained? Like, what have you done to, you know, I, I think we learn a lot through observation. I've learned a lot more from bad dog trainers than good dog trainers. Right. Because learning what it's, it's again, I equate it to music a lot because there's only certain notes you shouldn't play, but there's a lot you can play. And it's the same with dog training. There's a lot of things you should do and only a few things you shouldn't do. Um, I think the the key thing is just a mass of experience. And Mm. for me, it was completely dumb luck. I did not ever want to be a dog trainer. You know, I never wanted to teach karate. I ended up with a karate school for 10 years. Um, it's it's kind of, I think, yeah, karate school in LA. So, so for me, it's always about, I think you should find what you love to do and just do it. right? Right. Just just do it. And if it's meant to be, it's going to be it. You can't not do it. I think when we force things, um, we're unhappy, right? Why mm-hmm. do you want to train dogs? Is it because you love dogs or is it because you want to be famous? Or do you want, is your ego such mm-hmm. that you have to say, mm-hmm. I can handle the toughest dogs? Because mm-hmm. that's ego speaking, right? You can't handle the toughest dogs because mm-hmm. the toughest dogs will kill you. <laughs> right. And the toughest dogs should be killed. You know, these dogs that are that dangerous, mm-hmm. I, okay, I can handle them, you can handle them, but I wouldn't hand it to somebody else and think, okay, well, you know, uh, Mrs. Jones, you're going to be walking this dog down the street and I'm going to be walking my dog down the other side because you can't handle that dog. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's a real important component of truth and honesty we have to have with ourselves um, of what we want to do. And if you love dogs and you truly love dogs, then my first suggestion is always, volunteer at an animal shelter for six months to a year go to different clubs like if you really love the athletic side of dogs go to an agility club and watch them doing agility with dogs because that's amazing the most amazing stuff to me is people who do trick dog stuff like that's really cool like getting a dog to bite or or track that's the natural thing for a dog to do i mean my god how complicated can that possibly be right Mm -hmm. but getting a dog to like stand on two legs and spin around and dance with you that's that's amazing right that's really you're really making an animal do something that they're not naturally going to do but biting you know biting and and scenting the ground that's god i mean that's just what they do that's what they were bred to do yeah it's an easy it's an easy thing to to build up and i think yeah it's natural yeah one thing i i tell people too is is i just say we're in this we're in this space of the dog training industry, um, I think over the last specifically five years has, has morphed into like, it's funny that you mentioned fame. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people out there with big Robert, what are you talking about? Dog training doesn't, it doesn't even, it doesn't evolve into that. But now with TikTok and social media and mm-hmm. with all of that, that is actually something that, that comes into play where people just want to 
to get out there and make a name for themselves for the wrong reasons. And I see that Mm -hmm. all the time. There's a very dark place where those people I think live, but Mm -hmm. mentally, and and I just think in the, in the ecosystem. But one thing I tell people is, is to figure out what, I guess my point is, is figure out what you're, what you like to do because dog training as an Mm -hmm. umbrella is the same thing as like, Oh, I'm a musician. Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. do you play bass? Do you sing? Are you, mm-hmm. you know, or an artist or just in general, like a chef, like, okay, what kind? So I always tell people, figure out what you, what your niche is, figure out what you like to do. If you like, mm-hmm. yeah, volunteer. And that's what I did is I volunteered and I worked with shelter dogs and I, I shadowed other trainers and I figured out what I liked. And I kind of picked a little bit of everything out of everything that I did and kind of, and I'm still learning. I'm, I'm learning as we speak right now on the hour of like getting better and sharpening my tools. And uh, that's just one mm-hmm. question I get so much. And I always like to crack that nut open with another professional who's, who's doing it to just say mm-hmm. like, it, it's not a, it's hard because there's so many dog training schools out there. There's so many, and there's also a lot of scammy things out there too. I find it's mm-hmm. like become a dog trainer in, in 30 days or this, this <laughs> whole thing of, of being a certified dog trainer, I think warrants some credibility, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of people that are just saying I'm a certified dog trainer just to say it. They don't even, mm-hmm. they've mm-hmm. never even handled a dog, you know? So mm-hmm. where yeah. do you, where do you think all that's at? I mean, where do you think that, where do you think the industry is going in a sense of people wanting to become a dog trainer because they think it's easy and I mean, just with, with all of that going on, what's your take on where everything's going? Well, it's just become very commercialized. You know, I mean, as soon as you put a dog trainer on TV, then right. you make it kind of like, you know, a gimmick. And right. I mean, I'm not going to slam anybody who's on TV, but everybody who's on TV, if they ever did solve a behavior or work on a behavior, then they were criticized by the radical yeah. um, positive only crowd who has never trained a dog. Yeah. You know, um, if you have that much time to, to, to comment mm-hmm. on your website or your YouTube and my YouTube, you're obviously not training dogs because I don't have the time to do that. I've never, <laughs> I've never made a comment on anybody else's page. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's, it, it is, e- I, I do think dog training is inherently easy. If you have a very biddable dog and you have a little bit of knowledge and you can use common sense, yeah, it's pretty simple, right? But when you get into the things like, I'll give you an example. I went to a humane society that I'd worked with in uh, northern Arizona years ago. And I'm a big fan of e-collars and prong collars and, and, and corrections and stuff. But I'm also a very strong component, uh, proponent of using things like treats and toys to motivate dogs and inspire dogs. So I went to the shelter and they couldn't get this dog to sit. And after I'd been there the first time, some other trainer went in, who, who shall rename nameless, and um, said... Oh, you know, they, she put every dog on a prong collar mm. and they would pop this dog and say, sit. And the dog would just cower and would, sure. wouldn't sit. So I, I, I took too. the dog out. I would too. Right. Yeah. So I said, well, this person obviously doesn't understand the prong collar because it's an amazing tool, but used improperly. It's a terrible tool. And, and this is why the positive only crowd can kind of get in there and say, we need to ban it. Well, yeah. I see a lot more damage done with a stick than with a prong collar. So we can't ban sticks. But I'm digressing. So the idea really is um, I said to the person, I said, take the prong collar off. And I used a treat. And the dog sat immediately and perfectly Mm. and learned it really quickly. You must, if you're going to consider yourself a trainer, you you must understand the different components of getting something to happen. Mm -hmm. Because an animal, it has has a different personality. It has a different drive. It has a different level of understanding a different pain threshold a different system of reward and if you can't wrap your mind around that it might take a different approach and it might take a few different approaches with one animal then you really shouldn't be taking people's money for that yeah or or even worse uh, developing bad behaviors or ruining a dog's you know foundation and yeah it's 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 a it's a weird thing yeah but but that's what that's kind of what we're up against. And, you know, it's like, you know, how many people do you see out there, you know, who are training dogs and they go mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's like, OK, yeah. but, you know, just because you saw it on TV doesn't mean it's going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the same thing as people who, you know, who watch a Bruce Lee movie and they think they're fighters. You know, yeah. you can't 
you can't do that. Yeah, and, and, I, and that's where we stand now. Yeah, and I think it's it's you know there's there's some observations uh, out there that I, I you know watching a Bruce Lee movie and doing kung fu with your siblings in the, in the living room is not going to do any damage. But watching right. somebody on Netflix or watching somebody on you know anything, or mm-hmm. YouTube, whatever, uh, and mm-hmm. going out and and that's you know going out and training the dog and and that's one thing you know it's damned if you do, damned if you don't, Robert. Right, Robert? Because it's it's we there's so much misinformation out there about the prong or positive punishment in general or the remote collar mm-hmm. and the application mm-hmm. of introducing it as a very fun thing for the dogs to learn. And it's like, if, if we're not, it's like, if we don't put that information, cause I think about that all the time is I, I'm putting this information out to uh, as many people as that live on the internet that wants to see it. And mm-hmm. it's like, man, it's, it's so powerful to teach people how to do it right. But I have to be mindful about, and I'm sure you deal with this all the time is I will say black and white for an example, like you just said, do not, do not correct the dog and ask them that, that, that collar is your power steering. It's your reinforcement, all that stuff. But don't punish them and ask them. And that's a common thing that happens in dog training. Mm-hmm. Same thing with like the e collar. Don't mm-hmm. use the pager. Don't turn it up to a, a fifty and, and get a reaction out of dog because that's the wrong way to do it. So it's like mm-hmm. it's this battle of I want to put out ed- just like you, Robert. Is you want to put out education to show people how to do it right because there's not enough people in the public I think doing that because then things are going to be taken away even more. If there's not people out there giving free information via YouTube or po- podcasts like we're on now, it's, um, yeah. So anyway, so we, we both got off track for a second, but which is great, which is why I like podcasting. Right. So going back to the, the certification, do have you, um, I've worked with the animal behavioral college before I'm a, I'm a, I'm a evaluator trainer for them, but I mean, what that just allows me to make sure people aren't doing things the wrong way and they're, they're mm-hmm. reading their literature and I show them how to do these things. But yeah. Do you, do you have any tips for anybody? Just get, like you said, going out, getting into a shelter, do you have any certification or programs uh, across the world that you would recommend for anybody wanting to, to get their hands on experience with other people? I, I, I really don't. I mean, I, I, I don't even, I can't recommend anything because I've never been right. through it. You know, for me, it was a very natural way of learning. And I, uh, you know, I know some great musicians who went to, to Berkeley and I know some great musicians who never, who don't even know how to read music. I know some people who are amazing martial artists who don't have a black belt. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't think, I don't think paper is really where it's at. And we kind of right. live in this world, especially now where everything is defined by something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. So we're either defined as, Oh, oh you're a positive trainer. Oh, you're a correction trainer. Oh, you're this trainer. Oh, you're, or, you know, you're, you're an African-American person or you're an LGBT, you know, mm-hmm. why we need all these labels because labels separate us. Mm-hmm. It's the elimination of these things that kind of unite us. And I think that's, what's really important. Like the, the old saying, the only thing two dog trainers can agree upon is that the third dog trainer is wrong. Correct. That's a very sad statement. Yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of, I have a lot of friends who are dog trainers and we talk about ideas. The only thing you have an issue with is bad dog trainers will argue to their death yeah. that somebody else is wrong. Good dog trainers look at the ability. Oh, that's a, I could take this out of yeah. that. And, and that does make sense. Right. Yeah. That's what I do. I just, I, I sure. I have a hard time with, <clears throat> with that. And so yeah, so let's let's touch on that a little bit because I know that that's you know a lot of the people who are listening are dog trainers, but I think most of them are dog owners, and it's confusing. Mm-hmm. You go out and you say how to train, uh, you know, how to train a dog to walk nicely on a leash, and mm-hmm. of course you'll get you know YouTube and other things that pop up, and it's like it's hard because I and you see this a lot. So for an example, for people who are listening, I just had two clients come up from New York City. I'm about four hours north of New York City. I live closer to Vermont, but we had two, okay. two clients coming in and they, they worked with a positive-only trainer for, one of them worked for eight months with that person and the other one worked for a year. And the way that I've been breaking these things down on camera in front of the, the room that is put together like a seminar is just, that doesn't make them necessarily a bad dog trainer that you still haven't progressed. It just means that they're not set up to help you with what you're dealing with. There's limits. Mm-hmm. So as a dog owner, what do you, what do you think, you know, what's going on with the positive only, I mean, my listeners have heard my, 
my my rants on positive only, but I want to I want you to kind of because you're touching on it a little bit. So let's just open that up a little bit and talk about what what is positive only doing to the to the dogs, and what is positive only training doing to dog owners, and what is it? I mean, wh- wh- what is it by definition for people? Well, first of all, positive only trainers. I'm going to come back to that, but positive yeah. only training is the most dangerous tool that currently exists. It puts thousands and thousands of dogs at risk to be killed needlessly. Mm -hmm. And the people who believe in it are very similar to people who are in a cult because they won't look at the outside, Mm -hmm. right? In other words, a positive only trainer will not step outside of their comfort zone and say, perhaps a prong collar is a good idea. Perhaps this dog does need a correction. And what I always say, if you're a positive only trainer, and you're dealing with a dog that has, let's say a dog reactivity or aggression issue, are you willing to take your dog and sit them in the middle of a yard and walk that aggressive dog around that your dog with no corrections? Mm -hmm. And if you're not, then you're a fraud. And what so many of these positive only trainers do, and I'm gonna come back to this, I'm just gonna come full circle. Yeah, absolutely. But what these people will do is make people believe that one, the problem can be solved with positive only, and more importantly, that if the problem can't be solved with positive only, that it can't be solved and the dog should be euthanized. Right. Now, so here, here, comes, here I come around the other way. Now, I think everything, and this has been my saying since the beginning, everything I do with the dog starts with a treat or a toy. Where it goes from there, that's up to the dog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you must, and as trainers like yourself and myself and other very good trainers, and there are a lot of them, this is not something I own a monopoly of or you do, right. but we all understand in, in our realm that we will go to the positive side of training and use a lot of their tools, luring, shaping, rewards, uh, motivation, Marketing, but they yep. will never come to our side and give the tool that needs to really affect the change, the behavioral change on the dog, a chance. They will not examine that. They will not do that. And that's where you end up with people saying, oh, that dog, is, that, that dog can't be fixed. And yeah. it happens a lot with shelter dogs. They'll get a pit bull and they'll put them in a pink tutu and they'll put them on a harness and the dog is lunging at another dog and they try to stand in front of the dog and shove a treat in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Well. You know, the, the meanest thing we do to a dog, the cruelest thing that's ever done to a dog is the first thing we do to him, and that is put a leash and a collar on him. Because at that moment, we've already taken away every bit of freedom that dog desires. Yeah. From sure. there, it's a slippery slope, right? From there, it's now we're going to not let the dog walk ahead of us. We're not going to let the dog go run across the street and say hi to another dog. But the, the problem, and like I said, this is the full circle of approach, is mm-hmm. it's the word only, Right. That's the problem. Yeah, it's very limiting. It's, it's, it's more than limiting. It's completely crippling. So that means <laughs> yeah. if a dog yeah. doesn't like to eat chicken, we're going to starve him. Right. And, 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 and what a terrible quality in a person to, one, do that to a dog, but more importantly, to not allow the dog to have the option where – so many dogs with a little bit of structure completely change their behavior. Yeah. And even good dogs, you take a really good dog, and we have a Labrador that we got from a very, very good hunting lines and is a, a ma- probably one of the best dogs I've ever seen in my life. But early on, he would be trying to pull towards the, the duck or he'd be pulling to get in the agility ring or something when he was working with Janet. I would put a prong collar on him, taught him some little leash pressure, and it gave him the tools so that now we can condition the dog. Here's how you get the reward. You just don't do that. And you block it as opposed to the dog choking himself to death on a flat collar. Yeah. So the only in positive only is the most dangerous, most deadly thing that we've ever seen in, in, in dog ownership in history, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I can, I can agree. It's just, it's sad uh, more than anything because it almost seems like they're they're more interested in in their agenda and their ideology, sure. mm-hmm. and like you said, I and I tell people all the time, 
positive only is actually like you said earlier about the dog in a sit while the other dog is circling. Positive only it really doesn't make any sense because positive because a lot of people just assume positive is rainbows and butterflies and negative is punishment and kicking the dog in the face when the actuality mm-hmm. is is it's virtually almost impossible to do positive only if you actually break it down. But mm-hmm. what a lot of what I have and I'm just interested in it. I'm not interested in having arguments with some of these other trainers that are what what. Um, my friend, I don't know if you're familiar with Forrest Mickey, but him and I were talking and he was saying that what he's starting to do now is kind of coin the idea of limited dog trainers versus unlimited dog trainers instead of, because it kind of, because it's just not right. Positive only trainer is actually not what it is. They're limited to what they can do. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. that makes more sense to dog owners to say, and that's mm-hmm. what I've been saying now. And I said, Hey, listen, I don't, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not so interested in, in, about the dog trainer you worked with, because it's not going to matter. It's like, I just want to let you know that the, the, your dog isn't, because here's what I find, Robert, is I find that mm-hmm. these people who have, this, this in, these two people, just last, last week, not to mention the last 10 years we've been filming these sessions, just last week we had two people come in that worked with a trainer for eight months to a year, every mm-hmm. day, on basic, I mean, these dogs were almost two years old, they were pretty young and they're living in Manhattan mm-hmm. and they worked on this stuff and they still were reacting and they were still reactive. So mm-hmm. I guess my point was, is I said, look, you're dealing with, by definition, positive reinforcement is to encourage a behavior to happen again. So mm-hmm. if you're dealing with something you want to discourage or you're dealing with something that's unwarranted or unhealthy for everybody involved, like lunging at the end of the leash and barking hysterically until we pass out these are things mm-hmm. that you cannot and, and and you can call it science and you could call it by definition you can call it whatever you want but you can't use positive reinforcement as it was intended to be used to encourage a behavior that you don't want to exist it's 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 mm-hmm. impossible so i think dog owners that are listening to this it's it's kind of like this whole like when you listen to that podcast of something you go holy crap i didn't know any of that stuff because i find that the big box stores the pet smart the pet goes and in my and this is my opinion and this is probably a rabbit hole that we don't have enough time for <laughs> this week but it's like mm-hmm. you know oh well we banned you know the petco banned the e-collar and their their mm-hmm. thing was stop the shock and all this stuff and it's like mm-hmm. you guys got to read between the lines here that there's a lot of behind the scene political stuff going on once that happens for sure you know, pushing their band field and pushing medication because the two mm-hmm. dogs that I worked with in Manhattan last year were both on at least one medication, trazodone or gabapentin or both. And the dogs mm-hmm. were puddles. And so mm-hmm. it's just really frustrating for me. And I, like you, Robert, I'm, I, I make, I, if somebody came out and said, Robert, here's this new thing and say it's a stick or a, a, mm-hmm. a smell that said, this mm-hmm. will get your dog to, to do whatever you want. And it's true. You stick it in your pocket and your dog listens like a computer. We're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Or, okay, let's do it. And what I, what I find is why do things work and why do things not work? And I'm a big component on doing, my point is, is let's, let's just do what works. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the hard thing that a lot of people are having is they're going to a, a trainer that criticizes them and ridicules them for because once I, here's what I find and then you can put your two cents in on this too is because I know you deal with this is once you start working with a dog that has failed from another camp for whatever reason there's this question of well my last trainer said that this prong collar this martingale this e-collar telling the dog no I mean I've heard a lot of crazy shit mm-hmm. will ruin your dog forever And it's like, Mm -hmm. you almost don't even, you can't even think about how to answer that question. But I also just find it's like a brainwashed thing of, it's Mm -hmm. more about the agenda than it. And like you said, I've, I've gone through some of my comments just on my Instagram of people saying, you should never tell a dog. No, you should never Mm -hmm. leash pop a dog. Positive reinforcement Mm -hmm. is the only way to train via science and in the articles that we we've written um anyway um so at that point it's like you go to their page and they're not training dogs and like you said right we are busy running businesses we are busy Mm -hmm. training dogs helping clients educating we don't have time to go through other people's stuff to see if it's wrong right or indifferent right but at the end of the day like yeah yeah so like where so as a dog owner out there listening 
what advice can you give them to help their friends? Because I think that's one question I get is, how do I explain to other people that, let's call it balanced dog training or unlimited dog training, is more appropriate other than the things you've already said? How do you start that conversation? And and what are the things that we we, we should be doing maybe in the future as, as dog influencers, if you will, in, in the industry? Well, it. I, I just believe in being honest. And I think if I go back to my experience, I don't think, and I'm not in any way tooting my horn, I don't think I'm the best dog trainer out there, but I think that in my experience in 12 years in working with almost every breed, you know, size, shape, age, and behavior of, of, of dog, I can honestly say that positive training is critical. Mm-hmm. Positive only training is deadly. Because when the clicker and the treat doesn't work, what I would say, ask the trainer, what if your method doesn't work? What, then what? Right. Right. Because I, I mean, I can tell you that I'm going to approach with everything. I'm going to go into it and look at it with everything. The, the, the reason positive only training is so successful is two, twofold. One, it's very cult-like. Oh, Whoever doesn't sure. believe our way is evil is 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 horrible blacklisted right? and when you have companies like petco um it, banning the shock first of all if you call it a shock collar you're a very evil person mm-hmm. right because it's not a shock collar it's a shock collar if you shock the dog with it but it's like saying well then you know you have a telephone in your pocket or you're using a, a, a tens unit you can use it as an aversive but i'll tell you right now a rolled up newspaper across the snout is a lot stronger aversive than knee collar. Yeah, for sure. And so are we going to ban newspapers? I mean, we're just getting to this, we're splitting hairs here where it doesn't need to be done. If your dog can be trained with positive only, you or I or Forrest or any qualified good trainer will be able to make that work. And we're not going to use a correction on your dog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if the need for a correction arises, the need for structure arises, we have that tool and we will deliver it as fairly and precisely and minimalistically as possible. Because my interest is not to prove that I'm right. My interest is only to prove that we were able to, that you are able to train your dog. Because if I can handle your dog, that means nothing. There's nothing I hate more than seeing a YouTube trainer take the leash from somebody and say, here, do this, see how the dog responds. But that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's clients I have when I take the leash of their dog, they don't respond to me because they don't know me. And I don't care. I don't have the ego that I have to make every dog like me. I have to make every dog that I'm hired to work with respond to their owners. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's yeah, why and I, I get that shit all the time. You talk too much. I'm like, well, it's not about me. <laughs> I got to tell the owner what's yeah. going on. Right. And, you know, and, you know, you say the, the, the one product, I remember working in the shelter, my friend Lewis and I, we would take, you know, most any dog out. And I had an open challenge for 10 plus years. I said, anybody can meet me, you know, any positive only trainer can meet me at any shelter I'm working at and choose any dog for me. You can walk to the shelter, pick any dog, bring it out. And then I can pick any dog for you. And we can meet back in an hour or a day or a week and see where the results are with your training versus my training. But nobody ever took me up on it. Now they do. Now they say, oh, I'll meet you and you have to fly me out. And it's kind of turned into this, like, you know, a vacation with Robert kind of a thing. <laughs> but I, I don't do that. Right? Yeah. That's not, that wasn't the deal. The deal was let's, let's just put our money where our mouth is. If you're a great fighter and you're going to step in the ring with a UFC fighter, then you should go on his terms. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, it's 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 very cult like and the point i was going to say is lewis and i would take these dogs out and they would you know 10 15 20 minutes later people would say well, why is that why is that dog responding so nicely and i said well lewis and i have a, a really famous product that we're actually packaging and they said what is it and i said it's called pixie dust we just sprinkle a little bit on the dog and the dog's behavior changes because that the answer is not a product the answer is the approach right it's not an off switch. My dog's pulling. Oh, I, I always joke with people. I'll oh, run, I'll run over to the wall and say, yeah, "Oh, you, 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 you try off? this? Did, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did, did you try? Did you try tapping him on the shoulder? <laughs> There's no, there is no answer. It's just, and it's, it's also consistency. You know, people 
a lot of times with the dog, they see the dog not getting it and then they frustrate the dog more. It's kind of the old equation of German trainer told me that um, they went up to the guy and they said, what's 27 times 312? And the guy goes, I don't know. And he said, he just grabbed his nipples and just twisted them as hard as he could. He said, now what's 27 times 312? And the guy goes, I don't know. He goes, well, then why would you put more pressure on your dog when your right. dog doesn't understand what That's you're great. asking? I don't think we could do that to and, our clients, Robert, but... Uh... Well, you shouldn't, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is, you know, think about if you ask somebody a question and they don't know the answer, and then you start slapping them across right. the face yeah. and say, now what's the answer? Yeah. It's the same thing like you said, so, that, that prong collar trainer at the shelter. Sit, wang. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, you know, it, and again, I think a lot of times, you know, the, the old school yank and crank way did certainly get good compliance out of a lot of dogs. Sure. At a great cost to the spirit of the dog, which is why now you see, I mean, I had Vadim Plotsker, the head of the USCA on my podcast, and he said what we're really looking for now in judging is the, the, the way the dog carries himself. So can I see that this dog was put under too much pressure in training? Yeah, I mean, if, obviously, we can all see that if you know how to read dog body language. And those dogs should be judged unfavorably because we shouldn't be doing that to a dog. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, with the exception of aggression, there's very um, little time we should use that amount of pressure. Yeah. Even with aggression, we can kind of gradually desensitize them, but not like the positive only people where, um, you know, they, they start at 100 yards and then they're at 140 or sorry, 90 yards and they're at, at 80 yards and 70 yards and it doesn't work to go back to 110 yards. And my, my argument with that is, you know, sadly, a dog only lives 12 to 15 years. By the time you close the distance and you get next to the other dog, your dog should be dead. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know? Yeah, So exactly. you got to kind of, you got to kind of, you know, get it to happen. And without flooding the dog or being unfair to the dog, you, you kind of have to grow up a little bit. The kid has to fall off the bicycle and scrape his knee and you have sure. to put him back on the bicycle and say, let's try this again and not rush him to the emergency room and to psychotherapy. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. And it's, that's something I, I talk about often is I, I, I do realize that dogs and human beings and dogs and children are entirely different, but the way that we parent has to be, has some sort of consideration of, and this is overplayed, but it's true is if your kid is going, doing all this crazy stuff and you're just mm -hmm. saying, Hey, here's an iPad, come do this instead. Or you're turning mm -hmm. your back and mm -hmm. saying, it'll just get better. The dog will stress themselves out. It's, it's right. crazy. Two, two points on that, right? So you say kids and dogs are different, but are they, right? Aren't, if we really want to break things down to a primal thing, mm. aren't all mammals only looking for two things? One is to joy, enjoy life, to seek pleasure and to avoid pain and death. And all, he, yeah. all animals in their primal form. Why do you get up in the morning? Well, cause you want to enjoy life. Yeah. Why do you not, you know, run in front of train track? Cause you don't want to die. You don't, you True. don't want to jump off a building cause it's going to hurt. And, um, and, and that's an important thing to look at is how we approach that. And, and that's, you know, I think there's great, I don't train. I, like I said, I told you I taught karate. I really look at the way I taught children and the way I approach dogs very similarly. They're just seeking pleasure and the avoidance of pain. What a simple dynamic way to communicate with an animal. If you know those two simple things, that's that's a great place to start. Yeah, no, I agree. And going back to what you were saying before of, of just, and I'm trying to, like I said, I'm really trying to just put out there as much as I can, you know, in the echo chamber that <clears throat> there's a lot of marketing manipulation that goes on with, with not just positive only, but just training in general. You're never going to train a dog in five to 10 minutes. You're never going to train a dog fully in an hour. Right. You, you might be able to capture behaviors in some dogs under cer some circumstances in a training session, but, or a day, mm -hmm. but there's the whole thing of, and this is what I see often, which is I try to talk about it, which is like, you know, basically just making fun of myself or kind of throwing myself under the bus is there's a lot of people that say that dogs should never be stressed or dogs should never, uh, ha that, that's like, I think one of my biggest pet mm -hmm. peeves with dog owners. And I say, I say, look, look at the stress that this dog has under these mm -hmm. circumstances and just going over that stress is so mm -hmm. much of part of our life. And the other thing that I, I see often too, that a lot of people will, will, will say and mention is, well, it's just suppressing. It's just suppressing or you're using compulsion. It's like, 
we suppress behaviors literally every day of our lives. What we want to do mm-hmm. and what we actually do are predicated off of what's right and wrong. And, and are we going to get in trouble or are we not going to get in trouble and what's appropriate and what's not? So that's the other thing that's been crazy to me is seeing people, there's dog trainers that'll say, your dog should never be stressed if your dog is, and it's like, it's so unrealistic is, is my point is getting people out and, and having these unrealistic expectations. And then ultimately spending a year or two training their dogs or putting their dog to a shelter, which is crazy. But do you realize that, that, that simple statement, and I've had somebody say it to me too, that your dog shouldn't be stressed. Do you realize that the only way a muscle becomes stronger is through stressing that muscle? Mm. And the only way we grow as people is by stressing ourselves. Now this is physical stress, right? So we put a correction on the dog and on the, on the flip side, these people who are saying your dog shouldn't be stressed are mentally and emotionally stressing the dog far greater than a physical stress because Mm -hmm. they're emotionally stressing the dog by never giving the dog the solution to the, to the issue that I'm introducing. So you're actually mentally torturing a dog by eliminating physical pressure. And I mean, there's no greater detriment to a, a, any animal than to do that. I mean, a veal calf, you never have it walk around. You keep it in a dark room. You never let it stand up. So the meat is tender and you can eat it. But what a crappy quality of life the veal calf has. Mm. The deer on the other side is running around its whole life, has a great, you know, has, is stressed all the time trying to avoid wolves. And at some point, maybe it gets caught by the wolf and gets eaten. Um, or you yeah. know, a hunter shoots it and eats it. Right. It has a much better quality of life. So, you know, sometimes what's important and it's things like you're doing, I'm doing, and other people are doing, um, because I hate social media. I'll be really honest with you. You're very good at it. I'm, I'm really <laughs> bad at it. I just don't like it. It's, mm. It turns my stomach for the most part, but I do engage in it because I do have the ability to make a point and I don't care what people think about me. I only care about the end all that when I'm dead, that left behind is a thought of, well, maybe what he said made some sense, or maybe this will help somebody help their dog a little bit more. And when people left my Bound Angels University programs, the day one, when they came in, I would sit everybody in the classroom and I'd say, I have two goals. The first one is that no dog or person should get hurt, right? That's my number one goal. The second goal is that you learn something. And at the end, I would always ask people, did you enjoy the class the third or fourth day? And I remember one girl stood up and she said, I didn't like it. She goes, you're very mean. You didn't listen to us. You didn't take my feelings into consideration and everything. I said, well, that's great. I'm happy about that. She goes, you're happy that I didn't like it. I said, no, I'm happy that you have an emotion and an opinion. But remember, my goal was that no dog and no person should get hurt. And that was my only real goal. Mm. And I've succeeded in that goal because even though you didn't, you don't like me and you think I mean, you didn't get hurt. You didn't get bit by one dog. And we had 30 or 40 dogs that we all worked with and no dog got hurt. No dog bit another dog and ended up with stitches or being put down. So I've accomplished my goal, but making you happy was never my goal. Mm. Yeah. And in society today, we, we've become a very soft society oh, yeah. where we really want to make everybody happy. Yeah, it's but crazy. making everybody happy doesn't make anybody happy. Really, <laughs> right. It doesn't give you the tools to make yourself happy. Right. Yeah. It enables everything Like you don't want to. Yeah, yeah that, it's so true. It's terrible. It's, it's a very sad. It's a sad direction we're heading. I would hope that at some point we can take a, a sharp turn and get back to normalcy where people aren't afraid of being offended when I mean, I, I grew know. up, I was offended all the time. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, the whole, there's a difference between being politically correct and, 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 you know, have a, have a decency. I mean, there's a, there's a difference between yeah. just being a, an a-hole and, and being like, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like this because of this reason. Well, you should, because right. yeah, I, I totally am on that page too. It's, and, but I, I think it is, I think it's, I think that, I think it is. I think that there's a lot of people that have been suppressed for a very long time mm-hmm. and it's like, it's boiling. Okay. Okay. We'll let that happen. Okay. We'll let that slide. Not, not we as in me, but you know, it's mm-hmm. people are just mm-hmm. suppressed to a point where it's like, okay, we can't keep going on. This is not sustainable. Like you said, we, we can't like, people are going to be pissed at each other. People aren't always going to agree. People are going to have an opinion. We right now yeah. we are trying. And I think a lot of it has to do with social media and uh, mm-hmm. having the opinions of large companies being 
it's in, in influencers and it's just whole thing. I think it's going to work itself out where there's just going to be a certain sure. amount of people that are just going to go, you know what? And that's kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that is I don't really give a shit about what people think about me either. Cause at the end of the day, if I can talk into this microphone, stand in front of a camera and help this person in front of me and then help a hundred thousand people or more, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm cool with that. I don't, that's, that's yeah. one thing that I think a lot of, and you can probably relate to this too, is I think a lot of dog owners, a lot of dog trainers think like when they, they look at a video or they look at a piece of content of anybody and they immediately, you know, re redo it on TikTok or they'll post a video on mm-hmm. it or something in there. I don't, I don't make content for those people. <laughs> if you're mm-hmm. at home and you're struggling with your dog and you're finding yourself mm-hmm. really frustrated or worse, getting rid of your dog or euthanizing your dog mm-hmm. or, and I can put together or you can put together or these other people can put information out there together to help you mm-hmm. while you're sitting at home trying to figure shit out. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what, that's what matters. And I think a lot of people are, that's the dog. That's why I'm moving out of the dog. I call myself like an artist or a, mm-hmm. just a dog enthusiast because the, the, the dog training industry is going down a weird path of egotistical, mm-hmm. opinionated, I am the best. No, you're not. Nobody's the best. We're all learning. These are animals. Mm-hmm. How are you the best? You know, it's a weird, yeah. weird, weird world. But I'm conscious of my time, and I don't want to go over uh, time. We're running out, but um, I think that this conversation no can worries. can continue to happen. Um, sure, absolute pleasure having you on and, and meeting you via uh, phone. And um, yeah, man, it's been great. I, I think that we can have a lot of great conversations down the road and maybe when I'm out in California, we can meet up and spend some more time together doing this live. That'd be cool. Sounds great. Yeah. I look forward to it. Um, you want to just uh, plug yourself a little bit and if, if you want to give people where they can find you and more information, because after people listen to this, they're going to say, Hey, I agree with all that hopefully. And where can people find you? Or they won't. They, they want to go post <laughs> negative comments. No, um, they will. It, it just, Basically, I mean, on robertcabral.com, if you just go there, it'll link you to all my social media, which I dislike, but my YouTube, which I do like, um, uh, my Facebook and stuff like that. But it's just, you know, I mean, search out just good trainers. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not the only one. I, I, I'm, I can tell you I'm passionate and I'm honest about what I do. That, I think, is the one thing. I'm not looking for more followers or more subscribers or anything like that. Uh, more members. I'm looking for if I can change one person. You know, there's mm-hmm. an old saying. You know, he who say, you know change one. The, the saying is actually, one match can eliminate a room full of darkness. Ooh, and I yeah. only hope to be that match in somebody's life. And, That's great. And, and one person at a time. So it doesn't. I don't need to influence a hundred million people on YouTube, but I do need to make a difference for one person. And those little, as you probably are very well aware when you get that one message on YouTube from somebody who lives in an area who could never afford your rates or my rates. And they say, you helped me as no one ever did. Your day was just made without a dollar entering your pocket. And that's really the truth of it. So, and I I hope everybody can find that answer. Just look hard for it. And if, if, if I'm the answer for it, great. And if somebody else, is the answer for you? Great. Just find that answer. Life's too short. You've got to enjoy every minute of it. Yeah. No, I love that. Well, thanks again, Robert. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon. And, th- and thank you for your Sounds time. Great. Thank you for your time today, man. My pleasure. Thank All right. you. Thanks thank for you. having me on the show. All right, man. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, you guys, we're at the end of the podcast where I'm answering some of your questions. If you guys have any questions, you can leave a review on the podcast review page on whatever you're listening to this on, and I'll answer your questions. It's about the only way you can engage with me on the podcast platform. So go leave a review of the podcast, leave your questions. I just want to say thank you to Caitlin. She says that she has a six-month-old super loving Border Collie, and uh, she's been reactive to a lot of things, and she's been binging my videos and the podcast, and things are so much better. So, so awesome, awesome, awesome to hear. Uh, right here we have Alyssa and Lexis ask a question and uh, one of my favorite educators thank you so much for the review best advice for a dog that gets very excited for everything especially dogs and tends to whine excessively the best thing to do guys is to do some engagement so your dog is going to be interested in other things uh, by nature of being an animal and having that curiosity to see squirrels chipmunks other dogs other people. And so that, that tea kettle is going to boil and you're going to get some whining out of that, some vocalization. So what you want to do is just, you have to be more 
you have to give the dog something else to do. You have to give a dog an opportunity to make a better decision. Hey, come over here. Hey, come over here. Engage with your dog. Get some sort of reward out. Put your dog back into a working mode and then break your dog out. But you have to become more valuable than what they're whining about, essentially. All right, you guys. So we have one more here. This is going to be Pup Stuff. And we got a five-star review. So thank you so much, Pup Stuff. Uh, hi, I've been listening to your podcast for a short time, and I have a question. So I have a small chewini. <laughs> Mix, who is two years old, and he's a fixed male. Just as Ace was in his last episode. Okay, my last episode. He is a f- he's fearful and not confident with other dogs. Since he's so small, I struggle to make corrections when he does attempt to go after another dog on a leash, far away or up close. I do my best to keep him away from strange dogs during the walk and notice he is more reactive to large dogs, assuming that he's small. What is the best way to make a correction on a small dog, essentially? Um, I think, like, there's... You can... Wow. You can get, I think the slip leash is going to be a little much. I think a, like a small prong collar. I can't remember the company that makes it, to be honest. But Herm Springer makes a 2.25, which is the smallest unit that they make currently. Um, and I would start off with that because the prong collar is going to be a safer correction instead of like a, a slip leash because the slip leash is going to basically grab the dog's neck and kind of like pull it up because it's such a small dog. Um, so I would just use the prong collar, distribute that pressure a little bit more evenly um, to get that correction in and to uh to to make it a little bit more fair for the dog i think the prong collar is going to be safer um you know as far as correcting the dog on the leash that's what i would do is get yourself like the smallest prong that you can get i would also just go right online and just look up micro prong collar because there is one that's smaller i'm not exactly sure who makes it to be honest but um as far as being safe i would just go and, and look at that i think the prong would be okay Um, Anyway, so that's a wrap for today's podcast. Remember, if you guys want me to answer your questions live here on the podcast, just leave your review in the review page, and I'll do it next time. Talk to you later. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.